Welcome to Bible and Stuff, a podcast about the Bible and stuff. I'm Glenn. And I'm Tanner. And tonight we have a special guest with us. Uh, we have Hannah Anderson joining us tonight. Yeah, joining uh, us super... from the closet under the stairs. It's Yes, <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> it's a it great, is, I'm, she's got a good I'm actually, vibe going on. I'm a little envious of the setup because I am in an unfinished <laughs> basement uh, with toys scattered everywhere. Hannah can't see that, but. Yeah. <laughs> now everybody knows. It's so. just like a really big <laughs> closet under the stairs is all that sure, is. Sure, we'll go yeah. with that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Hannah Anderson is here. She is an author and Bible teacher from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. She has written a number of books and also co-hosts the Persuasion podcast for uh, From Christ and Pop Culture. And then most recently, she's contributed to the book that we're going to be talking about tonight, which is World on Fire, Walking in the Wisdom of Christ When Everyone's Fighting About Everything. Uh, <laughs> man, that title hits you right away. And it's I such love a it. great subtitle. I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, but Hannah, welcome to the show. We are so glad that you're here with us tonight. Well, I am really glad to be with you from my closet under my stairs. Um, <laughs> when COVID hit and we had everybody home, um, it became very apparent very quickly that we would need to carve out a little space for Zoom calls and for recordings. Yeah. And so we took all the games out and put the microphones in. And so I, I get love to it. <laughs> crawl in here and have fun conversations. That's awesome. Well, Hopefully you'll, you'll think our conversations tonight are fun as well. <laughs> uh, but I already, uh, I, I gave a brief overview of, of who you are and what you do, but we would love for you to just take a minute to, to tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, uh, what interests you, your hobbies, things, things along that line. Yeah. So I do live in Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. We've been here about 10 years. Um, I'm married to Nathan. We have been married 20 years this year. Um, We are officially moving into middle-aged, which isn't that bad, to be honest. Um, I'm just as tired as when I had little kids. We have three kids. They are now teenagers. Um, we have You're not giving me a lot of hope over 17 here. 17-year-old, <laughs> a 15-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Um, and it's busy in a different way. We had a little mm. bit of a pause or a gap in the middle, like the years where um, they all could feed themselves, dress themselves, um, eat, you know, reasonably. They could go to the pantry or they yeah. had learned to make scrambled eggs. And they also didn't have to be places where they didn't have all this other stuff that was going on. That, that's like the golden years. Okay, um, that's what I'm that's, pulling for. I'll enjoy hold it. Hold out when for I that. You'll catch your breath and then go in for a deep dive uh, once you hit the teenage years again. I remember uh, sitting down with my pastor one time when I was in college. I think it was like finals week or something, right? And I was like, man, I'm just so busy. And I think I was expecting him to like comfort me or something. And he was just like, he just stopped, looked me dead in the eye, and he goes, it does not get better. <laughs> He's like, if you think you're busy now, you will only feel busier. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I've always kept that in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, I'm just, this is what it is, and we have to roll with it. Right, and it's it's just a different set of things you're called to each season, and you just yeah. have to define what that season is and kind of pick up and go with it. So we're in a season of raising our kids and um, we have been involved in local church ministry for a very long time. Majority of our marriage, my husband has pastored in small rural churches for the most part. Um, We are currently not in um, a career ministry or professional ministry situation right now. Um, Again, 
I think I mentioned this season is teenagers. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we've kind of taken a break to focus on our family. And so, but we have a, a deep love as a family for this area in Virginia. My husband grew up here and um, we've put roots down here over the last 10 years and just just love the um, the spaces we're called to and trying to show up faithfully there as Christians, whether it's in church ministry, outside of it, whether it's in our schools, in our neighborhoods, um, and just trying to kind of as a family um, move through the world that way. Yeah. So that's that's where we are and, and what takes up most of our time. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you uh, actually segued us really well into uh, talking about the new book because it hits on a lot of those things of being present where we are with the people that we're around and and being Christ-like in our interactions there. But as we jump in, the first question I have to ask is, Glenn already read it, but the subtitle is Walking in the Wisdom of Christ When Everyone's Fighting About Everything. So uh, to me, the obvious question is, why is everyone fighting about everything? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the long answer, the short answer. I mean, uh, the short answer is we're all sinners, right? So we're going to fight. That's what James says. Once, you know, where does the wars and fightings come from? It's from your lust. You, You desire to have and you have not. And so at some very basic level, we're all sinners, right? So we show up. Even those of us who name the name of Christ show up in our places with our sinful selves and our reactions and our responses can be less informed by the gospel and more informed by our own personal agendas. So obviously that's going to be the case. But I think we're also in a really unique moment um, culturally, particularly how the digital age has changed the information we can access who we are encountering in our conversations. You know, it used to be you would have conversations with the people you knew in real life or people who were in your community that you saw in a multitude of dimensions. But now we're having conversations with people who are no more than an avatar on our screen. And and we don't have a full dimensional view of the person behind the comment. And, you know, social media rewards hot takes. It rewards the fights. It rewards the controversies. And so we exist in a moment where we have more information than we know what to do with. Not all of it is accurate, but who among us has time to determine what is and what isn't. And we're encountering people in these really charged moments and we don't really have the resources or the platforms to do it well to be honest yeah yeah you know it's crazy you say that and like in the back of my head we've we've talked some on this before how like you know technology is a blessing and a curse and and how it really is there's a lot going on with it right now but i forget sometimes what it was like before we had this platform to speak on or <laughs> hear from uh and it's really interesting to to hear you say like yeah you know before this like it was your neighbors that you would talk to the people that you were actually face to face encountering and now you're getting bombarded all around from people you've never you, you would never meet uh in person so yeah that, that's a lot to take in well and i would say even on top of that um 
people that you may have interacted with before, I feel like now because of social media, you know their take on everything, right? Mm. Like (laughs) if you somehow end up Facebook friends with the mailman, you now know what he thinks about vaccines and masking. And like before that probably wouldn't have come up and you may have had a really good relationship with the mailman, but now there's (laughs) so much, much baggage added to all those yeah, I think we we know more about people than is helpful sometimes. Um, you know, obviously these conversations are important. We don't want to downplay the significance of all of the questions and the issues that are being presented to us. Um, but as you said, um, my mailman brings me my mail and I know about him as a person, might strike up a conversation, but doesn't really matter to me in the past what he thought about a particular issue and we could go along and have um, a very cordial relationship now knowing what divides us even those very um common interactions feel charged um at Hmm. times Mm -hmm. so one of the quotes you let out early on in the book you don't bury the lead too much is while technology may create the conditions the spark that sets the world on fire is us, which is, is I don't like. <laughs> uh, um, but the nice thing about knowing that we are the problem in, in a sense is we also can be the solution, right? It's, it's better than, hey, it's this completely you know, huge thing that there's no way you could ever tackle rather than like, oh, I just, I just have to fix uh, me. I have to work on uh, me. And so... That one of the next quotes uh, that I pulled from the book that I really enjoyed is you say there are those who fight fires and there are those who start them. So how do we become people? How do we move from being people who start fires to being people who uh, fight fires? Yeah, we very quickly as a team, this book is a, a set of writers mm-hmm. um, who all came together to contribute different chapters. And very quickly um, as a team, we landed on the passages in James that talk about um, the tongue being a world of iniquity and that how great a fire a little flame kindleth, that, that our tongue has the capacity to set entire forests ablaze. And as I mentioned, I I live here in the Blue Ridge Mountains and we came back to be close to my husband's family. And my father-in-law is actually a forester. And so my husband's childhood and, um, you know, all of his memories of his dad's work were related to forestry and fighting forest fires. In Mm -hmm. fact, he said his dad would show up as Smokey the Bear at school and teach the kids how to fight forest fires. And a lot of it had to do with prevention. Um, That the conditions, you can't control the conditions. You can't control the weather. You can't control if it's a dry season. You can't necessarily even control what grows and what's going to, you know, underbrush you can clear. But but you can't control the conditions. What you can control is whether you're throwing matches around. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, a key idea behind uh, fire prevention is that your behavior, um, you would carry yourself with wisdom so that you're not being careless to create a fire. And when once we settled on this image of fire, I had sent um, 
our editor the meme of the dog sitting in the flames. This is fine. And I told her, I think this should be the title. You can just title this. This is fine. That's awesome. awesome. Obviously, that did not. Didn't make the cut. Didn't make the cut. That's awesome. It should have, though. It should have. I don't know if you noticed, but the whole time we've been doing this podcast, we've actually been on the International Space Station. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's different than the ambiance we normally go for, but it's still interesting. We got a little radio chatter in the background from old Houston. You got Captain Kirk over there zipping up his sleeping bag, uh, you know just living our life yeah i mean it has been it's one small step for man but one giant leap for bible and stuff to be able to be buskers on the international space station it's amazing i i've never seen my scale so low before (laughs) yeah but if you can't like us be here in person to drop a tip in our tip jar we wanted to still give you the opportunity to help us out by making a virtual tip jar so while our Russian friends who are walking by can leave a dollar and even Chester the monkey, or I think they're running some tests on, uh, is able to tip in real time. You can do so through the link in the description. And that really helps us keep this thing going. Who knows where you'll see us next week. So you touched on it there a little bit, but you you introduce this idea of like okay we have to we have to push for wisdom right and and there's kind of um this earthly wisdom the the you know common sense maybe we could call it or just what everyone seems to be going with at the time and then there's this this better <laughs> heavenly wisdom that we really should be as christians striving for so how do we how do we look for and and seek out heavenly wisdom when it seems like everybody else is is kind of losing their minds. Yeah. And James continues on um, to talk about this difference between the way of the world, the way the world goes about making choices and doing things and uh, the heavenly wisdom that we are called to, that wisdom that comes down from above, I think is how he puts it. Mm. And, And what he's setting up is this, this understanding that as Christians, as Christ followers, there is a way of being in the world. It's, it's a way of navigating the world that is distinct. It's not just, oh, we don't do this, we don't do that, or we don't go there. It, it's a way of responding. It's a way of engaging. It's a way of listening and humbly um, making peace. And, and so the way he describes that heavenly wisdom is that it's peaceable. And that it brings about a harvest of righteousness. And so when we think about where we will find heavenly wisdom, you know, obviously we're going to look to the scripture, but we're also going to look to the person of Christ. Um, Christ is the wisdom of God revealed for us. He is the logos of God is how John 1 puts it. Um, And so we turn to the Sermon on the Mount. And we turned as a, as a group of authors to say, what is the heavenly wisdom that Jesus is putting forward that his followers, that his disciples would walk in this way in the world? And the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, of course, you're, you're looking at phrases like blessed are the peacemakers or blessed are the meek. And each chapter then kind of unpacks 
if this is the call of Christ on those who follow him, what would it look like in this moment, in this time, in this kind of very volatile context to respond as peacemakers, to respond in meekness, um, to respond in righteousness? Someone took the stairs, didn't they? They did. <laughs> so, someone broke the no stairs while they Mom's did. in the stair closet <laughs> That's awesome. No, uh, my, my children will probably bust doors down the door at any moment to tell me good night or something. But so, uh, it's part of it's part of the Zoom world that we live in. Um, yeah, I, I'm listening to you talk through this and, and contemplating everything that's being presented to us in Scripture and thinking. And Tanner will totally agree with this, but like, I am the peacemaker in very many ways. However, I am the peacemaker, like to a flaw also, where, you know, I I will listen to my heart's extent, but I am very, very slow uh, to speak, which I think is is good in a a lot of cases. But then there are also times where it's like, well, I should have spoken more, uh, I think is where, where my struggle is. So I think through all of this, as I'm listening to you and everything, I'm trying to find that balance of like, okay, where is it that I, I listen and give peace? And where is it that I do actually speak? Um, and how do I speak into people's lives at that point? Yeah. And I think one of um, the authors who wrote on that um, chapter, Rachel Gilson, she, she makes this distinction um, between kind of false peace mm-hmm. or the absence of conflict, um, not being actual peace in resolution, and that we're called to make peace, that this is something that is actively constructed. Mm. And um, it is a hard thing um, because it's not necessarily just about smoothing over everything. It's about getting underneath the difficulties that are dividing people and finding that resolution and that way forward. Yeah. I need to hear that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So you talked about the passage in James that, that you kind of kick off the book, but really you trace through the Beatitudes um, or you and the other contributors, you know, go through the Beatitudes and, and talk about how they really introduce this countercultural way that, that we can carry ourselves that brings peace and not unnecessary or ungodly conflict. Uh, what do you think it is about the Beatitudes that makes them such a helpful guide to living in wisdom in, in our time today? Yeah, I think, you know, part of what we come to when we we take the Beatitudes, we are looking at a very concise expression of Christ's ministry. So a lot of his ministry is done through narrative. Um, It's done through parable. And it's almost a um, indirect way of communicating what the kingdom looks like. And one of the benefits of especially the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are are nested within that is that like, if you're going to get down to brass tacks, this is what kingdom life looks like. And it's much more um, explicit for us. Um, and, And I think what we have to remember is that the context that Jesus preached these truths into was not necessarily a stable context. It was um, a group of people that were, Palestine was under Roman rule. There were all kinds of, you know, flare-ups. There were zealots or political uprisings. So the, the context is important for us too, to remember that he's not speaking 
these things into a place that was devoid of conflict. It wasn't like he was just saying these things to people who already had lives that were very pastoral and, you know, beautiful and innocent. Th- these were people who were facing similar events. Um, and so this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way to be in the midst of that kind of earthly conflict. Yeah, I we talk about that uh, a lot on the show, just making sure that you are staying within context when you're reading. And I do think, especially in this case, that is really helpful to notice that like, he he is in a similar space that we're in and the, this wisdom that he's sharing is not something that we should just, you know, we shouldn't just take it at face value. We should realize that there is, there is context to it that we can associate with. And yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Yeah. And at the risk of ending up in a bit of a duh moment, I will say that uh, it took me a while to realize because of the structure of the Beatitudes where he says, you know, blessed are these people for this. And he, he kind of gives these uh, dichotomies that, that he applies to a couple of different groups. So we'll talk about some of those. I, th- <laughs> I think because those are sentences, I used to just kind of gloss over them. I'm like, oh, yeah, those people. <laughs> well, that's great for them. But but I didn't take them as a challenge of you, Tanner, <laughs> you be poor in spirit, you be meek, you be a peacemaker. And so I think obviously the chapters of the book apply that really well. It's like, okay, it, I want to inherit the earth. I want to, you know, I want all these blessings that are attached to these things. Well, that's that's what you should pursue is to be these type of, of people. And so one of the chapters, one of the other chapters that you wrote, I think you kick off the book, but then you also uh, come back and write uh, on one of the Beatitudes that says, blessed are, are the meek for they will inherit mm-hmm. the earth. So right. that's not a word we use a lot. What exactly is meekness and why should we pursue it? It isn't a word we use much and you know, even within different Bible translations, that word won't be translated as meek. Sometimes it's translated as humble. And so there is a continuity of thought there that we're, we're talking about those who live their life with humility. Um, and the ironic thing, though, is even though we use the word humble much more than we would use the word meek, I'm not sure that we know what humble is either. I'm not sure that we have a good grasp on humility because we tend to see humility as a set of um, maybe characteristics or or personality dispositions. So so the humble person is the quiet person. It's the reserved person. It's the person who maybe holds back or when you compliment them, they defer and they push it away. And that's how culturally we have been um, kind of trained to see humility. But that that's not what humility is. So when Christ calls um, to us, that blessing and joy is going to come through meekness or through humility. He's calling us to um, a right understanding of ourselves, um, to understand who we are and who we aren't. And the word humility um, is is fascinating because it's linked to um, the same root for um, human 
and also humus, which is another word we use for rich soil. Mm -hmm. And so you see this kind of tie between being made from the dust of the earth, being Mm -hmm. human, being humble. And and the, the, the significance of that is not that we would think of ourselves as dirt, but that we would just realize you're human. You're only human. You're not God. You're human. And and with that comes limitations. And so walking in humility then is recognizing who you are and who you aren't. And so often pride lifts us up and tells us that we know more than we actually know, that we are smarter than we actually are, that we're more powerful than we actually are. And coming back to that kind of walking in meekness and humility is just engaging with others with a strong awareness of our own limits and our own capacities. Um, And that might look like acknowledging that we don't know everything about an issue and that we need to have a spirit of learning and curiosity because we are only human. Mm. I, I like how you kind of strike the balance there. You talk about how we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves. That's definitely true. But you also touched on we shouldn't think of ourselves as dirt, right? We can go the other direction too far as well, right? And begin to uh, m- maybe, like Glenn touched on earlier, not stand for any convictions or not because, you know, well, who are we? You know, we should we should be humble. We should always defer. And that's not true either. So it is finding this balance. And and ultimately, I think the whole point of the book uh, in all of these is to live more like Christ. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think, like you said, it's important to touch on, okay, what do these words mean? Because whether we say meek or humble, we we don't always get those definitions right, especially meek. um, I think to me always brings up these visual images of like, you know, long hair, like long feathered hair, blue eyed, like tree hugging Jesus that maybe isn't the best representation of what we mean when we say meek. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me too, is that Jesus himself embodied humility in ways that I don't think we recognize. And Philippians 2 talks about um, how we need to take the mind of Christ and and particularly that he was humble and that he he lowered himself yeah. to become a servant to become obedient that he left heaven's glories and he took on human flesh and all the limitations of yeah. that humanity sinless of course but but within the limits of his humility and he calls his followers over and over again throughout his ministry to follow that pattern to embrace the limits of what it means to be human, independence on God, um, putting your trust in the God who who can do all things, but recognizing that we can't. Yes. Yeah. I actually just did a decent amount of study into uh, the prayer in the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And the thing that he says there is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And so we have to, as Jesus says there, watch and pray. 
We have to fix our eyes on God and say, I, I can't do this, right? I mean, even Jesus in that moment is having this experience of, I, I, this is overwhelming. You know, if, if there's another way to do this, can we do that? And that, that's the part where he has to be relying on God of like, you, you really got to get me through this. And if, if Jesus had to have that experience, how much, you know, more so do we? So the other thing that I've kind of learned about the Beatitudes and really about a lot of uh, things like this in the Bible is often if the positive is true, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, the opposite is true, right? <laughs> uh, cursed are the prideful. For they're not getting the, they're not going to inherit. It's not going to happen. And one of the one of the, my favorite quotes that I saw in the book um, was you say, "The risks of pride are incalcul- incalculable." That's hard for me to say, and, <laughs> and ultimately it will destroy even the good things we hope to achieve. And that's really a great summation of the opposite of that. Even if you're pride, and let's be honest, like prideful people can often accomplish a lot. They're very confident. They're very driven, um, and, and they can build their own kingdom really well. But I love that you point out, and I think quite rightly, that even the good things that you're trying to get done, it won't last. You're building it on the wrong foundation. Absolutely, and I think even within the the conflict that we see, I know within my own life there is the pride of why well, I want to be right, you know, but, but that's, we know we all do that. And that's a little easier to identify if we're honest with ourselves, we know when we kind of cross that line and we're just fighting for the sake of fighting and being right. Yeah. But I think there's another type of pride that I have seen come in my own life. And, and it is that I really want to convince this person of a good thing. Yeah. I, it would be a really good thing if they would change their mind about Jesus. Mm. And then out of my own strength, I will try to force something and I will try to play the Holy Spirit in their life. I will try, I will try to convict. Mm. I will try to press for repentance and, and recognizing that humility again says, who am I and who am I not? Mm-hmm. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. And so even in my job and my my interactions with people is not to play that role. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's a hidden pride. Uh, And it's it's dangerous too, because your intent is obviously like, it's good, but you're, yeah, it's not coming from the right place. Yeah. Now you're really speaking my language. See, we touched on, on Glenn's <laughs> deficiencies earlier. Uh, and, and now it's like, ah, you know, what? I do really like being right. Uh, and I like to convince myself that if, if, if I'm wanting something good, it's okay. Um, but you know, here's Hannah coming to humble me, <laughs> but it's good. Well, that's not good. me. That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, convicting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. See, it, She's humble too, and it just makes it worse. <laughs> okay, um, so as we as we start to wrap up here, I got a couple more questions. Um, I have to hit the like what about part, which I think here is you know the book commends things like meekness and mercy and peacemaking, but I think we most of us know from experience reconciliation and things like that aren't always possible. So what do we do even when our best efforts for these things just don't quite work out? Yeah, I think that's such an important question that we have to entertain because this call to live in the way of Christ, to live in the kingdom is not a 
pragmatic call that if you do these things, everything works out the way you want it to. Because following the Beatitudes, it goes right into this section in the Sermon on the Mount of blessed are you when you're persecuted or when men say all kinds of things um, against you for my name's sake. And so it's not a promise of, okay, you be the right kind of person and other people will respond in the right way too. And you mm. will somehow have gained reconciliation because you have done what you are supposed to do. The call to embody this wisdom and to live in this way is a call to be like Christ. Yeah. to Christ-likeness. And, and it is much more about our relationship with Him and following in His steps than accomplishing something here on earth pragmatically. Yeah. And so I think we have to recognize that other people are also in their own process and they're in a different process in their journey with Christ as well. And we are not called to fix them or to force reconciliation, we are called to be present and to display um, the character and nature of Christ in these settings. And the the painful truth is that can come with a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. That can come with a lot of relational devastation, um, conflict, things that you would rather not have to experience within your friendships, within your family. And I think we have to name those griefs and name those losses too and and take them um, right back to Jesus, who himself knew that kind of loss and rejection um, within his own walking out these kingdom values. You know, I think that's a a very wide false narrative uh, that Christianity gets a rap for. That idea that, you know what, once you're a Christian, everything's great. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about like, well, tonight and beyond how social media, we have this, there's this presence of like, all the best stuff is posted on your page. And, and I think a lot of times with Christianity, we do that too, where it's like, yeah, I'm going to tell you all about the great things about Christianity. And it is great. I'm not saying it's not. And there, there is joy that can be found in all of it. But I think the language that's used sometimes and the way that things are presented, people who are not Christians who are, who are potentially seeking are getting a wrong understanding. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head with that. Well, uh, to add to that, and I think uh, you're speaking to this really well, Hannah, is we, talk, we like to talk a lot about growing in Christ-likeness and being more like Jesus. The thing we don't like to admit about that is Jesus was crucified. It did not always go easily for Jesus. I mean, there were there were times where his family probably thought he was crazy. There were times where some of his best friends betrayed him. Uh, and not to mention the physical pain and suffering and injustice that he had to face. And so uh, often being like Jesus means we're, we're going to have to face some of those things too. I mean, Paul talks a lot about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And that is not as exciting <laughs> as some of the better parts uh, of growing in Christ-likeness, you know, maybe weeding out some of the things that we don't even like about ourselves anyway. Right. It's not a self-improvement plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think that's very appealing yeah. um, to say, here is this beautiful theology, this beautiful teaching that will make you a better person. And it will. I mean, 
walking in humility, walking um, as peacemakers, that is the call on us as um, children of God. And we will come into the fullness of who we are made to be. But it's not just a personal development program. It, it is a call to share in the sufferings of Christ and to um, ultimately to show forth his goodness and, and the, the superior, like just the ultimate goodness that he is um, and to let that be on display. Yeah, it's, it's a call to take up a cross, right? Um, so, oh, man, I, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 good because it's convicting, right? It's good because we're reminded of these things uh, um, that sometimes we would like to avoid. But but I think you're right. It's it's a call to much more than than just you know another self help self help book. Okay, well, so last question here, and I'm really interested to to hear your answer on this one. Because the book, I think there's, what, nine contributors to this thing all in all? By the way, really a who's who of, of women authors that are just killing it. Um, uh, so it was, it was a great read, and I really enjoyed it. That being said, I kind of want to know what, what your, some of the parts that stuck out to you. Like what, you, you didn't write all this. What is the stuff that you're reading from these other ladies and going, oh, my goodness, this is good. Like she, she killed it here. I would love to hear just to, I know you loved it all, Anna. <laughs> I know at the end of the day, it's all awesome. But I would love to hear a few examples. Well, and, and I'll just kind of point back to our conversation um, about the call of witnessing in the world to who Christ is. And I really appreciated um, Jen Pollock Michelle's um, chapter that concludes the book. There is a point to this beyond we're going to be good people mm. or we're going to be the ones engaging in conversation in a wise way. Um, and and the, the scope of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, it includes this, this um, truth that you will be persecuted but it also includes the sections that talk about being salt and light, that the salt will have a preservative effect and the light will bring light to others. And, and Jen really gets into that um, about the fact that um, we are called to prevent decay, um, that our presence is supposed to have a beneficial um, real world value for our neighbors yeah. that living this way will um, bring goodness to our communities. It's not just about our own experience of goodness, but that we would be um, a light to the world, which I think is such a fascinating way um, to end the book too, because we talk about light being this flame being will catch the world on fire in a bad way. Yeah. But we are called to be that small flame wherever we are mm. that would show forth um, the light and love of Christ in a dark world at times. Mm. Yeah, there, there's a church in Oklahoma City that I've, I've followed some over the years. And, and their mission statement is love God, uh, love others, push back darkness. Uh, and mm. I've always loved that tag because that really is what we do. Like we're taking a light into the world that is dark. Um, and, and I like it. Uh, I like this point a lot juxtaposed to what we just talked about too because this is another balance I'm seeing people struggle with a lot. There is that sense of like, you know, 
this world is not ours. We we're citizens of heaven and that's totally true. And so it's kind of, you know, the things that come up are, you know, Christians have always uh, functioned best under persecution and this and this, and there's some truth to a lot of that. But then there is also this piece of, but we should, we should be pushing into the culture around us and making it, making it a better place. So it's this balance of, uh, of there are definitely going to be some things we can't control and we're going to face some persecution because of outside culture. But I don't think it's something that we just uh, lay down and let happen. We, we should be, we should be pushing back. We should be, you know, pushing that light as far as we can. Right. The call, the call is not to survive the darkness. Yeah. The call is not to survive the fire, right? It is to help stop it and help um, bring goodness and light to the world as God intended. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I can't say anything better, so we should stop. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, for anyone who's listening, we're, we're definitely going to be putting out links where you can find a way to get a copy of the book. Uh, again, it's called World on Fire. Walking in the Wisdom of Christ when everyone's fighting about everything. So definitely check out the link. But Hannah, do you have other projects or things that you're working on that uh, would be we, good for us to know about or, or even ways that we can follow to, to see what you're doing? Um, well, I hang out on Twitter a lot. So um, if people want to connect there, I'm at sometimes a light. That's my handle is sometimes a light. And um, I try not to get into fights there. Um, <laughs> try to bring light um, to conversations. Um, I, I do. I had a book come out last this last February called Turning of Days. And it's about how nature and scripture are saying the same thing to us. And we need to learn to um, hear and observe what creation is saying um, with our Bible in hand and yeah. and know that there is a God who is speaking at multiple levels. And my husband, uh, Nathan, actually did some illustrations for that book. Oh, and awesome. out of that, we have had the opportunity. And I think this is the first time I'm sharing this Hey-o. on a podcast. <laughs> um, we are actually going to be doing um, a children's book together oh, over so the next cool. year. It'll be a while before it's out, but um, about um, creation will be based in Psalm 104 and he'll be able to illustrate it and I'll work on the text. So that's, that's awesome. the, the next project that I'm kind of dreaming toward and working on um, over the next year or so. That's great. I'm really excited to see that when it comes out. We're going to put links to everything you mentioned. People can check you out and and obviously grab a copy of the book in the show notes. Guys, uh, thanks for hanging with us today. Thanks, Hannah, for being on the show. As always, let us know what you thought. You can find us on the socials as well, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, at Bible and Stuff, or you can email us directly at hello at Bible and Stuff. We will talk to you guys again soon. Peace. The Bible and Stuff podcast is a production of Bible and Stuff. We do more than just podcasts, so if you want to know more about something we've covered on the show, just visit our website at bibleandstuff.com. Our show is hosted by Tanner Britt and Glenn Brand, and our theme music is by The Sing Team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.